This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio. Welcome back. You are with Counterculture. I am Marie, your host this morning. And now I have a very special guest. This is Rebecca Hampton. She has a story to tell, which I think is a cautionary tale for many parents. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Marie, thank you so much for having me this morning. It means a lot to me. Tell us a little bit about your story that you have been uh, embarking on over the last few years. Yes, well, it has been quite a few years. So before 2017, my daughter was 16 years old. For most of her life, she was never insistent, persistent or consistent about anything. And she always knew that she was a girl. Academically, she went to Hamilton Girls High and she would always get um, sort of average grades, sometimes A's, which we celebrated. But Hamilton Girls High School was brilliant to her and to our family. Uh, they recommended her to get an just like services to have her assessed for um, to see if she'd qualified for a reader writer for her exams because she was um, she was she was bright but just struggling in some areas. What was found was that she had some cognitive and processing speed, you know, writing and spelling. They were all a bit in the below average range or the low range. So she did qualify for that reader-writer, which we were really thankful for. And that information I really valued to take to the school when we moved to Christchurch because I knew that they needed to know those things to get her over the line to finish her high school certificate. I was quite confident at the outset that, that that's exactly what would happen. In 2018, we moved the school that we were zoned for um, unfortunately, was Lincoln High School. I couldn't take her anywhere else. I visited the new dean for her year uh, just after a week after we started there, and um, I was assured that she was making friends and just settling in nicely. So it only took about a month after she started, maybe even less, that I got a phone call from the school's counsellor to say that she was suicidal, which was very strange to me. The counsellor was very apologetic on the phone. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. Your daughter didn't want me to phone you, but she loves you so much. She didn't want me to phone you, but I actually have to tell you that she's suicidal and she needs to see a doctor. We'd only just moved and the doctor didn't know us from a bar of soap. I was very perplexed. I took her the same day and I was a bit surprised that I had to stay out of the doctor's surgery. Sorry, Rebecca, how old was your daughter at this point? She was 17. Right. So, yeah, she came, she came out of the doctor's room and I put my head in the door and I said, is she? It's so hard for me to believe it. Is she really? And the doctor kind of just laughed at me and said, no, she's fine. You've got nothing to worry about. And so I thought, well, what, what was all that about? And I, I turned to my daughter and I and I, and I said, well, what's going on? What, why, why did I get that call today? And she said, oh, mum, I didn't want her to phone you. It's just, it's nothing. It, it, it was just something silly. I'm I'm all right. And the doctor said I'm all right. And I said, and I thought, well, I know my daughter. I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. I, I just put it out of my mind and and we went we went on with life. But when it came to her birthday uh, time, she asked me if she could go to Armageddon and dress up as cosplay. And I had a background in theatre 
So I, I wasn't, like, it didn't bother me at all. Um, and I said, sure, honey, we can go and make your costume. So what what do you what would you like to go as? And she she said, I I think I I really like Jack Frost. He's really cool. I said, okay, we could do that. We went to Spotlight and we picked out all of the 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 costume and she seemed really happy. And she said on the the ride on the way home, oh mum, do you think we could get a binder for me because like to bind my chest with because it's going to look funny if because she she was she was quite big. I said, yeah, that's all right. We can do that. And so I didn't think anything <laughs> untoward. This is me joining dots and tell me if I'm way mm. off base, but mm. do you believe you got that phone call from the counsellor pressing the suicide button in order to give your daughter an opportunity to go to the doctor in order to discuss a potential transition? I'm or sure I- that that's what was happening behind my back now, but at the time I was totally blindsided. Mm-hmm. And all of this was very well hidden by my daughter. She and I, I thought, had a, a fantastic, close, loving bond. But a lot of this was just hidden. She was very good at hiding things from me. That in itself is quite concerning for parents because you think you know your child. Well, you do know your child, you, but they can be doing things behind your back that you have no idea what's going on, Mm, even if they're a good kid. Yeah. Armageddon. Mm -hmm. Grabbed your binder, went to Armageddon. She looked fabulous as Jack Frost, I'm sure. Well, well, actually, the the thing is, the binder came and she put it on and the the costume stayed in the cupboard unmade and that made me twig. (laughs) And I thought, why why is she, like, constantly wearing this binder but the costume's not doing anything? started noticing that she wasn't coming out of her room. She was on the phone a lot to these new her new friend group. I met the new friend group. They seemed a little bit different with the coloured hair and, and piercings and stuff that, you know, she, did, she just didn't get at Girls High because they had a dress code. <laughs> I understand that the teenagers individuate and, and I was fine with them. Later, I found out that they identified as, um, you know, somewhere under the rainbow umbrella and also uh, social justice ideas. And, you know, that's all fine, but they're, they're very young. And, you know, I think we've got to remember that they're very easily led and impressionable, a lot of these kids, and they don't know the full, you know, the full story of, of these issues. Yeah, so I I pressed her and I and I asked what was going on, like w- what was the change about, and and I, I said, I you know, are you doing drugs? Are these new friends of yours are they encouraging you to do things that that I wouldn't want you to do? And and I said, are you gay? I do you think you're a lesbian? And it was like, no, 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 nothing, no, no, nothing like that. And so so I said, well, what is it? I, and I was like. Eventually, I got out of her that she thought that she might be trans. And I, I said, well, is that just like wearing baggy clothes and short hair? It's, it's not a big deal. And she said, no, that's not, no, it's not a big deal. I said, well, well, honey, just don't label yourself. Just enjoy being a teenager and don't put any labels on yourself when your prefrontal cortex hasn't, hasn't fully developed I said, if you think that that's what you want to do later on, then something that you, mature adult you can decide. 
But right now, don't be going down that path because it's not healthy for you. You need to be more holistic in your thinking. And so I thought that that was the end of that. But I was wrong. (laughs) I didn't realise that her teachers were also encouraging this um, behind my back. And I, I noticed that a lot of, like when I was picking her up from friends' houses, they were calling her a male name. And I'd say to her, why are they calling you that? And she'd say, oh, it's just a nickname, mum. Don't worry about it. It's it's no big deal. And again, you know, trusting that we had that bond that that I knew her and, you know, and I do, I gave her the benefit of the doubt because as a (laughs) mum or as a parent, you want to believe the best in your kids, you know. You want to believe that they're actually being honest with you. There was something in my intuition that didn't sit. I felt like I was, I felt like, you know, my first husband, her dad was abusive and did a lot of things behind my back. And I felt that same feeling like something was going on behind my back and I wanted to figure out what was going on. So I started to research, what does it mean today when a girl says she's trans? (laughs) Because that's what we do, you know, and there wasn't a lot of information back in 2018 about these things. Um, I got a lot of the pro arguments and and I did want to know what the pro arguments were. I noticed that in those pro argument arguments they were they were kind of circular in their reasoning and very subjective and emotional. There wasn't really any logic behind it. Yeah, and, and a lot of the things just didn't, the worldviews, if you like, they, they didn't make sense. That, that led me to understanding the history as well of transgenderism, which led me to uh, learning about Alfred Kinsey and Harry Benjamin and New Zealand's John Money. Mm, yes. Um, the, the transsexual clinic that was set up in the 1960s and 70s for for mostly men, not, not a lot of women, but mostly men back then. That was at John Hopkins University in America. And I came across Dr. Paul McHugh's work who closed down that clinic in the 1970s because the long-term outcomes had often been worse than the people who didn't do anything to medically transition. That was interesting to to learn that this had had actually all been done before Mm. and it was deemed to be a bad idea. And incidentally, the same long-term findings have been replicated in Sweden and they have also are now not doing any um, Mm. affirmative care for, for for these kids. Incidentally, there haven't been any trans-identified youth suicides in Sweden for the past few years either. So that narrative is um, falling apart. Isn't that interesting? Because I spoke to Helen Joyce last week and we talked about language. She, She said the ideology now is so driven by language, the modern ideology. So trans of the 1960s, I think, is a completely different animal to trans of today. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, back then it was male to female transitions. To mm-hmm. Today, it is very much predominantly female to male. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about the trans genocide. I just said to Helen, where are these bodies? I, I Yeah. Where are they? Yeah, exactly. It's, where are it's, they? It's very disingenuous. Yeah. So your daughter's year 13, I'm assuming, or is she year 12? Let's see. She was year 12 in 2018. 
Yeah, um, so year 12. So she's year 12 with her, uh, her, her funky donkey friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giving her a boy's name. Mm-hmm. The teachers are lying behind your back and not letting mm-hmm. you know what's going on. So yep. she is, for argument's sake, um, Joe without an E at home and uh, Joe with an E at school. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. So where did things move on from there? Well, as I was finding out about the origins and, and you know, the, the potential dangers, I mean, I knew that hormones like hormone replacement therapy in women, um, like we all found out in the 80s that that would lead to cancer. I knew that hormones, well, from what I understand, hormones are made of cholesterol, which if we put, a, you know, a bunch of cholesterol in a woman's body, it's going to lead to heart disease. I knew those things. I didn't know <laughs> for sure because it was also experimental um, in 2018. There wasn't a lot of information. And I did try and tell her those things that I was concerned that this experimental was not good for her long-term health. Mm. And could she please like just wait until she's a grown adult to just make these decisions? Because she you know, she, her feelings will change. Her feelings can change. Mm. So she was still in social transition at this stage. Yeah, so people yeah. uh, respecting and affirming her identity and the only physical thing going on was was some binding. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. We had two small children. I had two small children with my, my second husband in the home and they absolutely idolised their big sister and they wanted to do everything that she was doing. And part of my argument was, please, can you think about, you know, being a role model to them and just continue to be the sister that they love? She didn't say much, but my authority as a parent, I hadn't realised had already been usurped by the friends, the teachers, the counsellors, the medical professionals. I wasn't heard as a, as a parent. I think by by May. The following year, I got another call from the school counsellor to say that she was suicidal again, and I was angry. I was really angry because I was doing everything. Like when you when you find out this stuff as a parent, it consumes your thoughts. You think about it constantly, and you you researching and you're and you're trying to like your heart's breaking. You're in anguish. You're trying to reach your child. And you feel like you're totally helpless, that there's nothing that you can say or do that's going to break through this delusion and show them reality, like the truth about mm. how they're really, what they're really doing to themselves. So anyway, I just thought, okay, so I'll use this opportunity with a psych nurse to maybe just have the opportunity to tell the psych nurse some of the backstory as to why I think, as her mother, she might be feeling the way she is because, you know, obviously with her father seeing, you know, growing up seeing her father treat me terribly couldn't have been good for her sense of self as a girl, feeling vulnerable to that kind of thing from from her own dad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I tried to just give a little bit of background. And again, I was completely unheard, which made me even more distrustful of the medical establishment altogether. And I don't even like going to the doctor at Vesta times, but if I'm not going to be listened to, I feel like I'm just wasting my time and it, and it makes me lose respect. It's a terrible thing that they've done to themselves really. Mm. Eventually I asked my daughter if I could go into 
a joint therapy session with her just to try to give the counsellor that she was seeing the same story, like just to try to, because I thought that a therapist had held a relationship between a parent and child of very high value for, for mental and emotional well-being. And so she agreed that I could come to a, a session. It was her last session with this woman. And I was asked to wait outside and that I'd be called in for, it was, a, it was an hour-long session. And I was sitting there for about 45 or 50 minutes, wondering when I was going to have the opportunity to speak. Very end, I got called in and I sat down and the therapist began to tell me that if I didn't refer to my daughter as my son, that she would kill herself. And I had to use male pronouns and a male name. And I was absolutely stunned. Mm. <laughs> I remember vividly, I turned and I looked at my daughter and she was white as a sheet. She was trembling and she would not look me in the eye. And I thought, why are you suddenly so terrified of me when I've been like loving you and we've had such a loving, caring relationship your whole life? It almost like in hindsight, it almost felt like she was like somebody else was controlling her. What you're describing sounds very much like someone that has been captured into a cult. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. In hindsight, yeah. But I looked at her and I said, Honey, I love you just the way you are. You're perfect just the way you are. You don't have to change anything. You, you're beautiful and we love you and we want you happy and whole just the way you are. And as I was saying these things, the therapist was coming over the top of me, policing my language, correcting the things that she, like, that she thought that I needed to say. And I got really angry with the therapist. And I, I turned to the therapist and I said, don't you think that there are good reasons why she might be confused and feeling the way she is? Is it is it not okay to ask these questions? And I went, railed at her. I went on and, and eventually she just, she said, well, we've got ACC coming in now to give her, the next step will be to giving her testosterone and then um, double mastectomy surgeries if she wants to from ACC. Well, hold on just a second. ACC? Yeah. 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 Under what injury? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't, I have no idea. Through the school. So the school would have come in and if she'd done her final year, as it turns out, she dropped out of school because she was failing every, every subject. I had another phone call from um, the school uh, email actually after um, by September of 2018 to say that she was failing every subject and she'd need intervention and I was angry again like why didn't you use the information that I gave you in the first place to make sure that this wasn't going to happen because I spent a lot of money and investment in trying to get that edge psych services as professional opinion to get her the help that she needed to finish high school to have her high school certificate go on to do things that she could make something of her life. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that's what we all do as parents to make sure that our kids are educated, that they get the education they need to go on to do whatever they want to do. 
I'm just going to go through and just mm-hmm. tell me if I've gone off base, okay? So I'm just going to do right. a little bit of a summary for any listeners that are coming in now and thinking, what is she talking about? So I'm yeah. talking to Rebecca. So you moved from Hamilton. She was no signs of any anything untoward in Hamilton. Not at all. You, you moved to Christchurch. Now, a move is up there with divorce and Okay, it's num- it's the number three stressor in a family. Moving yeah. is massively stressful. Yeah. So you're moving from Hamilton to Christchurch. Mm-hmm. You get settled into the local zoned co-educational college, Lincoln College. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, let's face it, it's hard to settle anybody into a new school, even anybody into a new community, let alone a teenager into a new school and a teenage girl into a new school. So she goes into the new school. You think things are ticking along okay. You get a phone call from the counsellor saying, no, your daughter says she's suicidal. She needs to go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. You go to the doctor. She's making up a story that she wants to go to an Armageddon needs a chest binder. We get the chest binder thinking that we're doing a bit of cosplay. I've got boys. One of them's done the Armageddon. I'm so there. I'm on the page with you so far, Rebecca. And she has got now her new group of friends It sounds like, unfortunately, she started at that new school, met some new people. And, I mean, this is all sounding like a cult. Mm. Yeah, 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 it's pretty scary. You know, you've gone from a child who was achieving and needed extra support to achieve. Yeah. And, again, I know exactly where you're coming from. Having done the learning support assessments for both my sons, I am all over that. So I know exactly what process you would have gone to and why you would have done it. Yeah. So she had everything there, all the tools in her toolbox. Mm-hmm. But instead of going and sort of doing what she, she's gotten in with this group of friends and all of a sudden that community has now started to fill her head with obviously – taken those stresses and vulnerabilities and doubts and um, cemented something else in her mind. So she's dropped out at the end of year 12. Was Mm -hmm. she still at home at that point? Yes, she was. I don't know if her friends were telling her that she had to leave. I later found something that was written in her room that one of her friends' families had offered to take her in if she felt unsafe with me, which made me angry. I'd also found she'd done a a school book report of a book called I Am Jay by Chris Beam. And this was written by another transgender person about I started reading some of the book and it was it was pretty pornographic. And I thought I didn't think that it was legal to put pornography in the hands of minors in the school library. It just felt like, what kind of world is this mm. now? The parents are not being told that this is the kind of depravity that their children have got to navigate without their knowledge. So she she was in touch with her dad in this time. And I mean, she was 18. She knew that she could do what she wanted. She did. She said she didn't want to do her final year at school because she'd have failed everything. She wanted to go and and live with her dad for a while. Her dad was affirming. So yeah, I and I knew there wasn't really a lot that I could say. So I had to just let her go. I didn't want to let her go. So where is she still with dad? She was with him for a while. She's not anymore. She got to Australia to to her dad, and she made some friends 
again who mm. I don't I don't know what, what you'd say. They just seem to all have the personality of being like a um somewhere on the cluster B spectrum for mm-hmm. you know manipulation and she was easily led by them and she yeah. ended up moving out of uh, her dad's house to be with these new new friends who were yeah taking advantage of her really she ended up in huge debt and homeless in 2020 uh, i remember she phoned me in tears saying that she had to start testosterone and I said, no, you don't. You do. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. And she she couldn't really articulate to me why she believed that she had to do that. But later I found out that when she'd got to Australia, her father had legally changed her name everywhere. Her birth certificate, her passport, her bank account, everything had been legally changed. So maybe that was part of the reason why she felt like she she had to go through with it. I don't really know. She had a therapist there as well who uh, diagnosed her with functioning autism, which is not something that we we kind of knew. Well, we kind of knew about it, but there wasn't a lot known in the sort of 2000s about um, high-functioning autism in females. Just going to say, I've got a high-functioning autistic son. They're hard, harder to diagnose, and girls are especially difficult to diagnose because they tend to naturally have better social skills, yeah. and that's one of the key indicators that they use for a diagnosis. So when you've actually have better skills in certain areas, it is it is quite difficult. And you know, gosh, now as a parent. Mm. You have probably done so much reading and you're probably thinking to yourself, when I look back down the tunnel, you know, how could I have not seen this? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm here to tell you, honestly, Rebecca, don't feel bad about that because when you're, I mean, as you said, you're a, you're a parent, you're wanting to, to love your child. And I've worked a lot. I mean, the whole trans ideology for me has been quite new in terms of my learning around critical theory. So mm. I have come from it from a social justice standpoint. I've fallen foul <laughs> of those who are very, very steeped in the cult. The trans ideology obviously is, is a part of that. And it's those ideologues. And you're right. It is a cult. And when you look back down the barrel of things, and unfortunately, you know, the the autism, something like 50% of all people that are trans identified currently in the new ideology have autism or some form of neurodevelopmental disorder yeah 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 that's as a parent of a child and that that I mean I'm that's pretty terrifying yeah Yeah. and and it's really neglectful of these medical professionals to treat somebody with uh, high functioning autism who is you know on this on the spectrum of autism who band-aid them like that and you know put a new identity on them because it's it's fake mm. and it will end badly. These kids will grow up and realise what a terrible thing has happened to them. And there are some detransitioners who are speaking up right now. It's just criminal, really, what's, what they're, they're being put through. They make it look so benign. They make mm. it look so harmless in the beginning, but it, it really does follow that 
I'm noticing is really following that abusive pattern, you know, being asked to buy into a shared fantasy, not being able to ask questions that are, you know, critically thinking questions, and then, you know, getting getting isolated from the people in their lives who would obviously have their best interest at heart. And, you know, that whole projection of accusing them accusing others of what they themselves are actually doing. Yeah, it's that there's just so many mm. parallels that you see with, you know, the gaslighting and the just the, you know, the estrangement. I actually am part of an online group called Concerned Parents for Trans-Identified Teens and, and Youth, and I was surprised that a lot of those parents that they they gave them everything. They affirmed them. They gave them everything. They're still now experiencing their children deciding to have nothing to do with their parents at all. They completely cut them out, estranged from them for reasons that the parents just don't understand because they've given them everything. I think it's because a parent is so intrinsically connected to the, the truth? truth about identity. Yeah. 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 Because it's constant reminder of who you actually are. And there must be some anger about that in in their psyche that they're trying to fight against. And I mean what what can a parent do? This this doesn't just like affect parents. It affects entire families. Mm. The grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins, is everybody. I wonder too, the reason they cut parents off is because deep down they realize that there are doubts there. Yes, yes. There are doubts. So by visiting their parents or visiting their family, what you're then doing is casting a wee light into those dark corners of where those doubts actually lie. And mm. when you're in the ideology, it is doctrinal questions yeah. you, you're not there to ask questions you're yeah. there to do the work yeah you do yeah. the reading it's yeah. doctrinal it's it's very marxist in its thinking it has yes. their their own yes. pillars of knowledge and their own gods that they create yeah. within exactly space and gnostic yeah it is very very gnostic and so these kids are and of course especially if you have autism of any form but especially yeah. high functioning autism yeah. i mean one of the biggest cravings that you have is the desire to fit in of because course. often often you've had feelings yeah. your entire teenage life that you just you know i mean that's why the symbol for autism is a jigsaw puzzle piece because sometimes you're that puzzle piece that never quite fits properly yeah and yeah. so when all of a sudden you're finding a group of people and I can see why it is so attractive for these kids. This group of people that bring you into the fold, they affirm you, they yeah. nourish you, they Love feed them. your ego totally. Yeah. They, they're telling you that you're the most beautiful thing in the world and that you can do this and you can get in touch with your feelings and all of these things. The endorphins <laughs> are rolling and it is exactly like a cult. And it's not just in trans ideology. It's also the same in social justice. It's the same... It well, and to a greater or lesser extent for those that are very heavy in um, critical race theory, there's this massive amount of affirmation that goes around the identity that you have chosen. So, yeah. you know, as a parent, the difficulty, I mean, sitting here, my heart breaking six ways to Sunday for you. I really am yeah. because yeah. 
I would have done exactly everything that you would have done. <laughs> everything. Yeah. I'm sitting there yeah. thinking, yep, tick, I would have done that. Yep, I would yeah. have done that too. And you think to yourself, how have I failed? But you have to realise you haven't failed. Yes, it's very yeah. hard. I've, I've found that Dr. James Lindsay has been very helpful to me as a parent yeah. to understand exactly the roots of where all this is coming from. I mean, he's a bit hard to hear, like listen to. Like sometimes <laughs> you've got to listen to him three times to understand what he said. I've actually met James a couple of times digitally and he's uh, he's very wordy. He is yes. very, very witty, but he's got a brain the size of an absolute planet. <laughs> and so James Lindsay, who we're referring to, he uh, wrote Cynical Theories uh, with Helen Pluckrose, which sort of explains all of the critical theory ideology yeah. as a whole. Um, I'm halfway through race Marxism at the moment. I had to take a break because she's a bit chilly. He's also written um, How to Have Impossible Conversations with Peter Boghossian. Uh, which is another, actually, that's an earlier book. I think that came out around 2018. That one's quite a good one. And it talks about how to have these sorts of conversations with people that sit within, with very, very firm and solid ideas. So how to open people up and actually create a discourse, mm. which, of course, is an art these days. Um, it is. becoming rarer. An art I'm not so. very good at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're doing great. So, I guess now, so she's still in Australia? She is. She's, she's ended up working for a telephone uh, company, so she doesn't have to go anywhere apparently. I keep reaching out to her with messages of love and, you know, funny memes and jokes, and but unfortunately I haven't had any um, contact back from her for nearly a year, which has been one of the hardest things any parent has to deal with is that estrangement that you don't quite understand. Today, I, I mean, obviously I keep trying to learn and I keep fighting. I've noticed that um, with some of Helen Horton's work in bringing light to what Inside Out is teaching our kids in schools and how it's kind of similar to what online sex traffickers are looking for for like kids to you know normalize that behavior you know just connecting those dots is really a reason for I think a lot of parents to just have the courage to stand up and say this is not not happening on our watch not to our kids our kids are not for sale yeah yeah <laughs> um, and I mean the work has now been done I mean they closed the yeah. Tavistock clinic in the UK the thing that disturbs me the most in this country is we seem to be last at everything I know. <laughs> the difficulty is it is the work that you're doing. It's the support that you're giving other parents. It's it's having to be the, you know, probably deep down that you're going to be the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff for your daughter at some point. Absolutely. And you, and you just yep. hope like hell that you're able to do the CPR and, and, and bring her back around. You know, she's still very, very young and it is tough, isn't it? As a parent waiting, your heart's just continually there and and also you're obviously parenting two younger children as well at home and yeah so, yeah so. we we, we cottoned on pretty quick that the public school systems were going to do exactly the same thing as Lincoln High and um, by the time they got to high school it would probably be worse mm -hmm. um, so we pulled them out of public school and we now have them in in a, a special character school but even special character schools are not 
100% safe. So you've got to be very vigilant about uh, keeping your kids safe online, teaching them about um, predatory behaviour, like the love bombing, like mm. um, the isolation, the triangulation, that, that sort of behaviour that won't want your kids to um, experience. Or if they do see people like that, that they know that you know, that's a bullying tactic and mm. to stand up for those things. Especially with girls too, you know, this yeah. is a social contagion. I really yeah. believe for girls at your oh, daughter's age, yeah. it is a complete social contagion. I don't know about you, but back in our day, it was being a goth. There was that phase that you were either going to be Patty, Patty Smith or Robert Smith or, or you're running around if you're really, you know, out there, you're a bit, you're still a bit Sid Vicious and parents sitting there looking at the super glue and looking at the black eyeliner and fingernails thinking, oh gosh, are they going to grow out of that? Um, before you panic, <laughs> listeners, that wasn't me, but I did hang around with goths. I was the square in the, in the goth hole. But every single one of those people that I knew all have... Babe, a phase. Yeah, through you express yourself. You you find yeah. a journey that you're on, and and this is different. This is making physical uh, changes. Physical, that can... physical changes that are going to stay with them. That they're not reversible. Early on, they they used to say, "Oh, that's totally reversible," but actually, they're not reversible at all. Um, especially for little boys, particularly puberty blockers, is probably yeah. the worst thing you can do to a little boy. The sexual function is just not going to be there for them in their older Adult years, lives. which is it's, it's just mm. so, it's robbery. It's criminal what they're doing to these little boys and little girls. You mentioned some groups. So if, if I've got a pair, if I've got parents that are listening to this now. Yeah, thinking, yeah. Oh, God, no, yes. I'm, Rebecca is telling my story. <laughs> I've got that story at home. And they're not plugged in to other support networks. Where are some of those support networks? Where have you found support? Well, there's a lot. There's one here in New Zealand that I can't quite remember the name of, but I could possibly get back to you about it yeah. for your listeners. There's the, the one that I, I use the most is Concerned Parents for Transgender Youth and Teens. That's a Facebook group. Really easy to find. Family First with Bob and Cross Green. Family, He's been family to- First. Yep, absolutely. Family First. For me, going about, I'm sort of a a learner in as much as I I like to hear what people have found. I've found that Genspect, that's evidence-based care, has been very interesting, Genspect. I think that's Stella O'Malley. She's brilliant. And actually, I interviewed Mark Kuno from Resist Gender Education. She's also very, very good in the New Zealand space oh, around education. Yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of. Resist oh, there you go. Education. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark's awesome. Yeah. So those those are a great start. There's also people like overseas, like Scott Nugent, mm. who is biological female, and uh, he's got TraeVoices.com. Yes, um, and, it, um, and I interviewed Scott right back at the very beginning when I started here. So if you go yeah. back to my replace page all the way back to April, I think it was around April 19th, somewhere in there, I interviewed Scott. So definitely, yeah, trade voices. <laughs> and he's he is prolific in the amount of work and the time that he's putting into this is incredible, yeah. Yeah, my heart just goes out. What he's actually been through, your heart breaks. Yeah. 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 Um, Bill Ward Chris is another one too. He's a Canadian. He's done a lot of work. Definitely do that research. Keep in touch because I know that we're in, in touch uh, behind the scenes. So keep in touch uh, with anything that 
uh, with how things go. We'd love to stay in touch. I've got Helen Horton uh, coming back here very, very soon. I know you're in touch with her. And Helen's been doing a huge amount of work. Helen Horton is the leader of the New Conservative Party. And this is her particular area of interest, being an educator. And Helen is an incredible resource around this. And I think it's just keeping that vigilance, isn't it? It is. We, we've got to be. We've got to be. Because, um, yeah, you, you can't be afraid of being called a name that's that's not true. I mean, the the arguments that they put forward of of being haters is there's nothing in it. We, we don't hate them. I, I've got nothing. But yeah, I'd like to say I've got for the trans people um, out there that might be listening. I love you. I've got huge compassion for you. Whatever pain is causing you to feel like you can't be who you were born as, that pain is real and valid and it deserves respect. But for you to actually say to us that we have to violate our own conscience in our words, that's a whole different level of toxic that that nobody should want to put on anybody. Thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been Rebecca Hampton. Uh, we've been talking about her and the transition of her daughter. And if you've got any questions whatsoever around that, inbox at realitycheck.radio, inbox at realitycheck.radio, or if you've got questions for Rebecca, uh, we can pass those on to her via that, or do text us to 2057. Hey, thank you, for Rebecca, for your time. I do appreciate it very, very much. And don't Thank disappear. you so much. No, thank you so much. And don't disappear, everybody. More still here to come with Counterculture with Marie here on RCR. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio.